every, every one of us have, have, <laughs> have experienced times in our lives whenever it's been a struggle and there's been tough situations. And in that moment where things t- start to begin to turn for good, right? And so I remember a, a few, this was years ago, back when we were in Oklahoma, we only had two kids. Uh, Carson was younger. And I remember this weekend specifically. I came into the weekend feeling overwhelmed by a lot of things that I needed to get done. And so I started, you know, I had the to-do list and I had the plan and I was ready to go. And on Friday, I was off and I had uh, Carson. And so we, we were off at like 8 in the morning. We were ready to go get stuff done. I pull into the first store and it's closed. And it doesn't open for another two hours. So I'm, all right, let's change the plan around. Let's go somewhere else. So I went somewhere else and it was also closed. And so I thought, okay, well, let's just change everything around. Let's go wash the car. And if you have kids or ever had kids, you understand that the outside of the car is never really the problem. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's the inside. It's just like the outside can be spotless and clean for, for weeks. But the inside, after one day, maybe even an hour, is filled with food and just all kinds of gross stuff. So I thought, I'm going to clean this car. And so... I went to the car. Well, I didn't have the change that I needed, of course. We didn't have, back in Oklahoma, these free vacuums like we do here, which is praise the Lord. But I didn't have the change, right? And so I, didn't, I, I was looking for cash, and I finally got it. I think I even had to go to an ATM, get cash, come back, start vacuuming. And as, I, um, as I'm going to, to vacuum, I c- shut the door, and I forgot to move my finger out of the door, and I smash my finger. It's bleeding. Carson's like, Dad, are you okay? And I'm vacuum. Yes, it's fine. You know, there's just blood. It's like, oh, it's so frustrating. I couldn't get anything done. And the next, I went to, I went to bed upset on Friday. Saturday morning, woke up, and I thought, all right, today's the day. I'm going to get all this stuff done. So I start to do stuff, and, and right as I did, Carson came in, and he had a stomach bug. And if you, again, our parents, um, you know that the stomach bug is probably the worst that you could possibly have because then you have to deal with, like, am I getting sick or is, am I sick because of what I'm looking at and cleaning up? Does that make sense? Is that clear enough for you? All right, so, so that, and then we're having to protect the other kids and we're trying to, so it was just like, I'm not getting anything done today either. So then Sunday, the Lord's Day, it came around. I thought, okay, surely today is the day. And I was getting ready, and as many of you know, I am a cardigan fiend. Listen, I get made fun of for it, but it's fine because I'm comfortable and cozy in my cardigans, and that's the way that I like to live life. <laughs> so I had my favorite cardigan, and it was in the bathroom, and I had it hanging up, but it fell. And Carson, it hit, and he didn't quite make it to the toilet. He made it to the bathroom, right about where my cardigan was sitting. And I won't go into any more, but you know what happened? It was just all over, and I'm like, man, my favorite cardigan, of all things. Like, can't I just have this one thing, just wear my cardigan to church? And so I, I was upset, and then I, and I, went, up to get, I went to bed upset and angry, and, um, and I just honestly kind of overwhelmed thinking, man, so, I'm already behind. The week is just starting. I'm already behind. And then a snowstorm came through that night. It was unexpected. A snowstorm came through, which meant I, uh, the kids were off school, and I got to take off work unexpectedly. And so there was a whole free day to get things done. And you know what? I got, I got everything done that I needed to on my list and some. 
And I, it felt so good in that moment to be like, yes, finally, I was able to get all this done. And I know, I don't mean to trivialize anything. I know that uh, I've had other bad, worse weekends, and I'm sure you have too. But we've all experienced that moment of whenever the, the, the bad has turned to the good. And our, our recent bad memories, when we compare it to the good ones we experience now, it's so much sweeter because of the good that we're experiencing now. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what happens when we're able to compare two different things. We can look at something and say, and describe it, but when we compare two separate things, we can look and see the differences that are there. And, and, and the, the better differences stand out more compared to the lesser thing. And that's what Paul does in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 12 through 21, through the end of the chapter. And, and what Paul compares is the bad news with the good news of Jesus. And so let's start in verse 12. It says this. You can follow along as I read. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin, was in, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. So here's the bad news. This is our reality in Adam. The truth is, the first thing that we see is that we are all sinners. This is, this is basically a summarized statement of Romans 1 through 3, the first three chapters of Romans, where we talked about that Paul started the letter showing that every person, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, if you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter what, we're all in the same position, we're all sinners, Romans 3.23 even says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are there. That's our reality because we are children, ultimately, of Adam, the first man. Every person is guilty of sin. That's our reality that we live in. And the second thing is that sin leads to death. And we see it. Yet death reigned. Death ruled. Death reigns. It rules over us. It rules over all mankind. It isn't the exception. It's the rule. It's, it's, and, and by the way, this isn't only physical death. It's a spiritual death. There's separation between us and God. You're, uh, God, in Genesis, we, we see that God walked with Adam and Eve, and he spent time with them, and he had fellowship with them, and he, and he and he, and he was intimate with them. But then after they sinned, they were removed from the garden. And that separation between them and God spread to all humanity. God was on this path and humanity took a detour. And that death has spread to us as well. Death still reigns. It still rules. Even after God gave Moses the law, it still ruled before and after so every person is guilty of sin. So death reigns and rules in our life. And it came through the one man, Adam, and through his trespass, through his sin. And since he is the starting point of all humanity, it flows to us. It trickles down. 
And there is no escaping this reality for anyone here in this room. We sin, death rules, and, and we're, we are hopeless and helpless. And you, realize, you understand, we see it all over the world, right? I don't hardly watch the news too often. Just, it's, pretty, it's kind of a Debbie Downer, you know what I mean? I remember one morning, I turned on, just here recently, I turned on the, the TV because, you know, you first get the kids ready, then you realize, oh, I haven't gotten ready. So let's do something to where they aren't fighting and just let's put this on. So I turned on the, the TV and I was trying to turn on Netflix, but before I could, something was wrong with the remote. About two minutes of the news was was on, and in that time here in Phoenix, I heard about four shootings and two stabbings. And I'm like trying to fix the remote, you know, with the kids. They're like, "Dad, what's going on?" I'm like, "It's the world we live in, kids." You know, just trying. (laughs) But that's the reality, right? Like the entire world, we experience it. We see it. There's no escaping it. And at the same time, we see it in our own lives. And this jumped off the page whenever I read uh, in, in verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man. And I just got this picture of Adam's sin being passed on to his children, passed on to his children's children, and trickling down all the way into you and I here in this room and in this chapel. It's affected each and every one of us. In fact, it's trickled down, and for some... There are some in your family line who have made poor decisions that have caused you consequences. And you feel it in the abandonment that you feel because of your absent father. Or, or Or maybe your parents weren't absent, but they weren't there. And they weren't there for you. And you feel it with the drunk driver that killed your friend or your loved one. And all these poor decisions that people have made have consequences for us. And we feel it and experience it. Not to mention the consequences of our own sin. The bad choices that we've made that have caused brokenness. And so we cannot escape this reality. It's where we are. It's, it's what it is. We, our reality in Adam is that through one man came sin and death through sin. And death and destruction rule our lives. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Like there's no hope. But there is great news. Oh, there's such good news. And so listen to what Paul does next. This is where he compares our reality that we all know and experience in our everyday lives and on the news and in the world. He compares it to the rea- a new reality that's offered in Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the results of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads 
to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is the point where, as a preacher, you think, Lord, help me not mess this up. (laughs) Right? Because in itself, this is such good news, especially when it's compared to the bad news that we all know and experience and, and what he points out. And the, the truth, I just want to point out two things. There's so much you could probably spend, um, you know, a few sermons on, but I want to point out two things. One, there is no hope in Adam, and hope is only in Jesus. Yeah, you can clap for that. Not, and if we read back through and simplify the language and, and look at the reason behind the good news, why it's good news, we see that everything good happens because of Christ. And so verse 15, in Adam we're sentenced to death, but in Christ his grace is extended to us. In Adam, in verse 16, we're condemned, that means we're guilty after the one trespass, but in Christ his grace has made us justified, not guilty, even after we failed time and time again. In, in Adam, in verse 17, death reigns because of his trespass, but in Christ, life reigns because of his grace and his righteousness. Verse 18, in Adam, all men are condemned. That means we're all guilty. And after the one trespass, one time, and in, in Christ, all men in Christ are justified. We're not guilty after his one righteous act going to the cross and dying for us. In verse 19, in Adam, sinner, we are all sinners because of his disobedience. But in Christ, we are righteous because of his obedience. So on our own, we are left with sin and guilt and death, and, and we are left hopeless. But in Christ, we are given grace. We are given righteousness because all of the good works that Jesus did are placed on us. And these righteous acts that we can't do ourselves are given to us because of Jesus. And not only that, we are justified. That means we're declared not guilty even after failing to live up to the standard that God has for us time and time and time again. It's such good news. In Adam, we're stuck in sin. And in Christ, we are cleared and free. And it gets even better. The second thing I want to point out is this, that our reality in Christ, if we have accepted God's free gift, and and we already know, it's already true that Jesus has already died and rose again, and, and the offer is out there. The gift is extended, but we have to make the decision to accept that free gift. And if we do, our reality in Christ is infinitely more powerful than our reality in Adam. In other words, his grace is infinitely more powerful than Adam's trespass. And his free gift is infinitely more powerful than Adam's judgment. His one act of righteousness is infinitely more powerful than the one trespass. And so although we see the reality of sin and brokenness and we, we live in it and it feels so incredibly strong and overwhelming at times, God's redemptive plan is infinitely more powerful. 
So when we put these truths together, that there's no hope in Adam, that there's only hope in Jesus, and the work of, of Christ is infinitely more powerful than the trespass of Adam, we see this, that Christ precisely, in the exact ways he restores the areas of our lives, that the trespass of Adam deteriorates in us. So what I mean is this, when there, where there are consequences for sin in Adam, there is grace in Jesus. Where there is condemnation in Adam, there is justification in Christ. Where, there, where death reigns in Adam because of sin, Jesus offers life through his righteousness. Where all men are condemned in Adam, Jesus justifies us through his one righteous act. We're made sinners because of his disobedience, but made righteous because of Jesus' obedience. Amen. Such good news. And... One last time, it gets even better. (laughs) Look at what he says next in Romans 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace abounds in Christ. That word abounds means it goes beyond what's expected. That grace is more than than expected. It abounds in Christ. So get this picture. God, knowing that his grace was infinitely more powerful than, than the trespass, put the law in place. You realize God's the one who put the law in place. And what it did was it increased the trespass. In other words, it increased our awareness of sin. Before, we might not have known whether we were sinning. Like whenever you were in school and you weren't sure what was against the rules and what wasn't until the teacher said, here's the rules. And you're like, okay, now I know what the rules are. I know this is wrong to throw this spitball at my teacher. (laughs) You didn't make that rule before, so I didn't know. The kids, I have kids. They do all kinds of things like that, right? But what that means, he puts this law in place, and so that in, in many ways the sin increases, but what happens? The grace abounds all the more. So because of the law, we know what sin is, but sometimes we feel and we see because of the law how great our sin is. And it feels like there's no way God can forgive me of this. There's no way God can reach us. And what this passage is saying is, yes, he can, and he does, because his grace increases all the more. So where you have sinned, God's grace is greater. You know how you've been trying to live up, and this is to me too, to this certain standard and be this certain type of person that God and everyone else loves and accepts? Well, this verse is saying that that was never the expectation. Actually, you are always destined, you and I, we're always destined for failure because we can't ever live up to it. The law showed us as much. But guess what? He sent his son, Jesus, to cover us. And the grace is much greater. The second truth, look at what he says next. After, but where sin increased, grace amounted all the more. Verse 21, why? So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign You know how prevalent death is. I mean, again, you just turn on the news and you see it. We can't escape it. It seems like the most powerful force in the world. No one in the world escapes it. 
and it's overwhelming. And yet, Paul says, as sure as death reigns and rules, just as sure as that is true in our world, in Christ, grace rules. To an even greater degree than death rules, grace rules in Christ. And what's, what's interesting is that this, this word, grace, also might reign, the, the verb re- might reign. It's an aorist active subjunctive tense, which means that it's a past action that has, is definite. Like there's no question about it that it's true. It's past, but it is the surest thing you can possibly count on. That there is no limit to it. There's no question about it. It just is. Like you can say, you know, I just really don't think North Phoenix Baptist Church exists. And I would say, well, where do you think you are? Like it just is, right? You can't argue it. It just is. And that's what he's saying. It's so sure of a thing that grace rules in Christ. It's not, it, 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 the grace becomes the rule, not the exception in Christ. And look at what he says. How? How does grace reign? How is it possible? How, what makes this all work? Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whose righteousness his. So this is uh, for those of us who've been slaving away trying to please God. We uh, are in the reality of Adam, hopeless and helpless, and Jesus, the only one who lived a perfect life, never sinning, placed all his good works on us. And that's what God sees in us. When we accept that free gift... So the picture is not only does, does, does God's grace abound, like it, it's plentiful. Not only does it, does it rule and it, it becomes what rules our lives and not the exception. Not only is that true, and not only does he make us not guilty, that justified, like we talked about like last week, but he also puts his righteousness on us. And I picture this, like, imagine you committed a crime and you were in court and you were standing before the judge and you were about to get your sentence, but, but a Nobel Peace Prize winner, for some reason, walks in the courtroom and he says, listen, I'm going to take the punishment for this person. And the judge allows it, so he takes the punishment and he, he starts to get, to get handcuffed, and you're just in awe that you're now scot-free, you're not guilty. And he's walking, he's being escorted over toward the prison, but then he stops and says, oh, wait, I forgot something. And he brings over his Nobel Peace Prize, and he says, here, by the way, all my good works are going to be in your name now. i got to go to prison and take this penalty. And then he goes. That's the picture, that all of his good works are put on us. Which means that it's so much less about all the good works we try to conjure up. In fact, Isaiah tells us that even our good works, sin is so deep in our soul that even our good works are like filthy rags to God. But his righteousness is put on us. This is 
good news. It's the new reality that Jesus offers us today. And the truth is, all of us, we do. We live in the reality of Adam. And, and some of us have accepted the free gift, but we still live in the reality of Adam in defeat. And, and we, we don't think about how God's righteousness is put on us and how powerful that, when, that we become when we are connected to God. Jesus is offering another way. There's two paths. I'll close with this story. In February of 1939, a mother passed away, and she left seven children with, uh, and they were aging from ages 17 to six months old. She left all seven children to her husband, who was a drunk and who often liked to gamble. And so after she was gone, it got worse, and the, and the dad began to, to gamble and get drunk more, and he would take the two youngest ones, the 16-month-old and the 2-year-old, to families, um, different families' house and let them watch them while he did what he did. And then he would come back and get them, and he would be good for a bit, but then he would, and it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in a real sense, this father's sin left these kids helpless. I mean, they couldn't do anything about it, especially the youngest, the 16-month-old, the 2-year-old, didn't maybe even realize what was going on, and yet they were feeling the consequences of his sin. And this went on for a while, and finally one day, after a long night of gambling, the, the father who was watching this 2-year-old and 16-month-old, and the, the, the man of the family said, all right, enough is enough. And the father came to get his kids. And, and the, the dad stopped him at the door and said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And this family graciously adopted the 2-year-old and the 16-month-old. And they raised these kids in a loving home, telling them about Jesus and about God's love for them, a love that they had never experienced anything like in their short time of life. And the little girl grew up and married a pastor. The 16-month-old grew up and married a pastor. And they ministered together for over 60 years to different people. And they actually took in some kids as well. And the 16, uh, and then the, the, the pastor and his wife, the 16, well, obviously she wasn't 16 months then, but as she grew up, this pastor and his wife, they had three kids. One of them was my mom. And the 16-month-old is my grandmother. This is the picture of what Jesus did for us. This little girl, these little girls were trapped in a broken and helpless, hopeless situation that they didn't, that they inherited. And there was nothing they could do about it. They were powerless against it. She needed, and they needed, someone to come in and rescue them, which is what this family did. And guess what? It had lasting effects. 
What if my grandmother had been raised in that environment versus the one she was raised in? Think of all the different consequences that came with the great choice that this family made. This is what Jesus is offering us today. We are all stuck in a helpless situation. But God, in his grace that's abounding, is offering us a different path. And in fact, earlier in Romans it says this. I love this scripture. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So will you step into his reality that he offers to you through his son this gift of grace and out of the reality of Adam? And if you have received that gift, I beg of you to live in the reality that Jesus offers.